You're listening to the Boss Business of Surgery series, episode 73. Today, I talk with Dr. Devin Gimbel about her program, Point Me to First Class. Have you ever thought about all that money you spend on your typical daily expenses turning into luxury vacations? Tune in to hear more. And if you're interested in overcoming the challenges of complications inevitable to all of us, go to bosssurgery.com and see about the new program, It's Complicated, which starts April 11th. Welcome surgeons. Residency didn't teach us everything we needed to learn to be a successful surgeon. While we spent our time caring for patients and learning how to operate, we didn't learn how to advocate for ourselves or navigate our career. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Vertries. I'm a general surgeon, certified coach, and founder of the Boss Business of Surgery series. This is where you'll learn those lessons not taught in residency. Welcome back. I am so excited to have this guest on today. This is Dr. Devin Gimbel. We have known each other for, I mean, like online, and we just actually laughed about the fact this is probably the first time we've actually met in real life, sort of virtually. So the very first thing I want to do is, well, I guess actually introduce yourself, Dr. Gimbel. Tell me a little bit more about yourself. Hi, first, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I'm so excited to talk with you and just have this conversation and share our stories. So as you mentioned, my name is Devin Gimbel. I am a double board certified physician. So I'm board certified in anatomic pathology and dermatopathology. And I now live in the suburbs of Chicago with my family and have maybe a somewhat non-traditional career path where did all the right things, you know, undergrad, med school, residency, fellowship, joined a private practice and... Now I'm retired from medicine and I teach people, including physicians, how to earn and use a lot of credit card points to travel the world. So not exactly the career trajectory I was expecting, you know, when I was 15, 20, working really hard to get into medicine, but I've learned so much along the way and am really loving where I'm at in my life and my career right now. So I'm really excited to talk about different aspects of that with you today. I love it. And, you know, that, of course, you know, caught my attention because you don't think that this is a natural trajectory as a physician. Um, But, you know, a lot of times when we are doing something really remarkable, you know, sometimes we just kind of get this spark and then it goes off in a direction and we can use the transferable skills that we have as physicians to figure things out and make things simple. So it's actually not too far of a stretch that you would think in the first place. Now, But before we get to that, which I know everyone's going to be tuning in for that, for sure. Um, But I'm so fascinated with your story. So you left medicine in 2019. Take us through a little bit of the circumstances, because I think a lot of people can learn from your journey. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think I had... I mean, I joke about it now, but I think kind of up until that point, I did have a very traditional path. I was your very typical kid who, you know, at five, seven, 10 years old can only ever remember wanting to be a physician, right? I was that kid who grew up and I'm knowing that was the thing I wanted to do. I felt like, you know, I loved science. I loved helping people. And to me, medicine always seemed like the perfect expression and avenue to really contribute and to, you know, really help people and decrease suffering. And so, like I said, you know, I did all the normal getting into med school things and, you know, went to undergrad. I did take a little bit of time off in between undergrad and med school, but then, you know, went to medical school, kind of fell in love with pathology, which was a huge surprise to me because I had no clue what pathology was or that it existed, you know, when I first started medical school and ended up doing an anatomic pathology residency in Boston, fell in love with the specialty of skin pathology. So went and did my derm path fellowship and, you know, was coming out of my fellowship training in 2012 and found a very small physician owned private practice in the Chicago suburbs that 
I very much thought was going to be my forever job. You know, it's like you do all of that work. You do all of that training and that first job that you're looking for when you find something that seems like it's such an amazing fit. I really thought this is where I'm going to be, you know, until I retire. And to me, that looked like a very traditional career. You know, I want to work full time. Um, you know, I'm probably going to do that till I'm 60, 65 years old. And that is sort of the light at the end of the tunnel, right? Like this is what we've all been working for for so long. And so really up until that point in my career, I do think I had a very traditional path. And so I joined this private practice and you know did what I think a lot of new attendings do, which is you just work your buns off, right? It's like, you're finally on your own, you're getting your feet underneath you and you are finally doing that thing. And there was a lot of gratification in that for me for a really long time. And there were also some challenges and struggles that came up that frankly really surprised me because I always thought the hard part is done, right? The med school, the boards, the testing, the residency, the fellowship, the hours, all of that, once you're done with training, that hard part is done. And so it was kind of surprising to me, you know, when I started encountering some more hard stuff, you know, a couple of years into that first attending job that I was not expecting and felt like no one had warned me about. <laughs> <laughs> no. Let's say that you are now talking to who you were then, what would be the things you'd warn her about? Yeah, I think that is such a great question. You know, and I've been reflecting on this a lot just because, like I said, I didn't go into training thinking, oh, this is amazing. I'll practice for seven years and then I'll step away from medicine. Like that was, that was never the plan. <laughs> and so I've thought a lot about, yeah, you know, kind of how do I think about, you know, this period of my life? And if I were to do things differently, what would be different? And when I think about the mission of your show, which I think is so phenomenal, which is, you know, let's talk about the things that are really crucial for us to know that we were never taught in training. I really think for me, one of those biggest things is just how do we, how do we act in service of ourselves in terms of how do we advocate for ourselves? How do we ask questions so that we can make great decisions? Because I think one of the things that I either explicitly or implicitly learned throughout all of my medical training is that you don't ask questions, like you do what you think is expected of you. And for me, what that looked like when I was looking, you know, for my first job was basically whatever someone offered me, I felt like I was lucky to be offered that thing because I was just looking for a job, right? Where I could practice to the best of my ability. And I think, you know, if I could go back and kind of talk to my then, however old I was at that point, 31, 32 year old self, I think I would say, Hey, be okay asking questions so that you can make really good decisions about what you're going to be doing in your career. And I think that can be very, very hard for people who have been trained professionally to go with the flow, right? To not upset the cart or to not even do something where they think they might be upsetting, you know, the apple cart in any way whatsoever. Right. And so I know you went into a particular practice model too. So, and it seemed like you were going to be on the partner track but in retrospect, it looked like maybe that was not the path that you were actually on. Take us through that thought process and, and what happened and when did you first start seeing that not all was well here? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great question. So when, again, when I was coming out of training, I interviewed at this practice and at the time there were four physician partner owners of this practice. And then there were three other junior non-partner um, physicians. And, you know, I was told this is a partnership track position here, kind of like the details and the timeline. And what happened for me was, and I think this is, this can be true for anyone. 
that medicine changes. I think if you've been in medicine, you know, kind of out of the training model of medicine for more than a year or two, you've probably experienced some significant changes, right? Either in your personal practice or in your local practice, your geographic area, what have you, medicine changes. And sometimes those changes can be big. And I think one of the things I saw was that in that particular time in the state where I practice and in the specialty and subspecialty where I practice, a lot of big things were changing. And I think because of that, small physician-owned private practices are also under a lot of pressure to respond to those changes. And I think one of the things that happened in the practice I was, was that the way they had traditionally operated didn't seem like that was maybe going to be as feasible or as solvent for the practice moving forward. And so for me, you know, coming in as a junior physician, just because something had always been a certain way in that practice, it doesn't necessarily guarantee that it's always going to be that way forever and ever and ever. And I think one of the things that I would have said, you know, to myself kind of back at that time was, Hey, what you're seeing, like, you're really, really smart at perceiving, you know, changes and their possible impact. And so don't be afraid to have conversations about that. Like, don't be afraid to ask questions about, Hey, I'm noticing all these changes. Just what does that mean for our practice? Right. And again, I think that I was so kind of socialized, you know, by our medical training to not ever want to potentially upset anybody that even though I saw a lot of things changing in the practice, I felt like, well, I don't want to step out of line. You know, I don't want to ask questions about what does this mean for us as a whole? What does this mean for different members of this practice? And so, you know, I think really what it boiled down to is that practices have to respond to changes. And unfortunately, sometimes those responses are not going to be favorable to every single person, you know, in the practice based on just your history with the group and, and where the group wants to head. Right. And a, a lot of us don't know how private practices run, you know, like what is the partner track and am I going to go on the partner track? Do I even want to go on the partner track? We just talked to Amy Sala um, a few episodes ago to where, you know, she was on the partner track and then she's like, I don't, I don't think I want to be on the partner track. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, for one thing, it's just not anything that's ever brought up that, that practice model, but, you know, just, I think the mindset that we have when we're coming out is that, well, this is just how it is. And I don't really have a say. And then you start to realize I have a say, and now, you know, we're kind of coming up with different opinions. And so that's, I think, where a lot of people leave the the practices that they're in, whether, you know, it's employed or that, because we have an expectation of how it's going to go and that it doesn't. So, no, it is what it is. Um, The most important aspect is that we have the ability to make different decisions. We could take these transferable skills and do something else. And so take us through your decision to leave medicine and how that looked, you know, what was your... Um, what was your intention or your thoughts leaving medicine and how has it panned out for you? Yeah, that's such a good question. And to put this into context, you know, I came out of training in 2012 and joined this practice where I was until 2019. So I spent, you know, solid seven years in this private practice. And again, sort of at the point when I was deciding maybe this actually isn't going to be, you know, my forever place, my forever job. One of the things that I was really faced with was that sort of what next question. And so when I stepped away from that practice in 2019, at that time, I didn't know for sure kind of what that looked like for me. I wasn't sure. Am I stepping just away from this practice and, you know, waiting to kind of join another group or am I stepping away from medicine? Am I actually retiring, you know, completely? I had no idea. I just knew, you know, my time here is complete. And so when I stepped away, I kind of had that opportunity to say, 
what is the next thing? You know, what, what do I want to do? Because I think one of the things that doesn't leave us when you are someone who has been, you know, driven enough and dedicated enough to kind of go through that whole process of medicine is I think we all want to be intellectually challenged and, and really, you know, stimulated. And and I was still looking for that. And so for me, kind of a natural transition point was to start getting more involved in the world of coaching. When I was in my last year of practice, I had really benefited from learning about coaching, which is another thing, of course, I knew nothing about from my training and really benefited from having worked with a coach during that period of my career. And so for me, it was a very sort of natural and logical transition of, you know, here is something that's not directly medically related, but has really helped and influence sort of my experience in medicine makes a lot of sense for me to then want to work in this same capacity to help other physicians. And so I actually spent about a year or two when I stepped out of my medical practice, actually getting much more involved in the world of coaching, both for my own personal coaching, and then also getting certified as a coach and working with other physicians as a coach, again, to sort of payback kind of that help that I had received, you know, when, when I was really looking for that help and that support. That's great. I mean, you obviously I'm a fan because being a coach as well, I mean, and I was just as surprised as, as you, you know, sounded like you were too, like 2020 came around. I'm like, I hadn't even heard of it. And I was like, and then I, then I got some, I was like, this is like really transforming. And then all of a sudden you're like, I can, I can help other people too. And this is the exponential effect that we have on the world. And, and especially when you kind of reach this sort of mid-career thing, when you're ready for the next challenge, you're ready to do something different and, you know, something beyond us. And a lot of times we just have no idea what that's going to be until it kind of like drops in our lap. And speaking of things that take us by surprise, you had another shift, uh, which I know everyone has been probably anxiously waiting to get to this part. Tell me about how this, you know, using points for travel and things like that. When, where did all this start? And full disclosure, <laughs> yeah. I don't know any of this. I don't get out much, you know? <laughs> yeah, this was, I mean, I think sort of as the best things in life are sort of an evolution and sort of like, you know, a gradual kind of building an acquisition of just interest and skill. So I will try to tell the short version of the story, which is that kind of the other thing that was true about me from childhood, in addition to sort of just always wanting to be a physician is always wanting to get out and explore the world. But as a child, I never really had access to that for a lot of different reasons, but I was just endlessly fascinated by the world and by people and wanting to get out and have that experience of exploring the world. And so, you know, fast forward to coming out of training And one of the things that was really important to me as a new attending was really kind of educating myself about matters of personal finance. It was the first time I was in the position in my life to actually have a little bit of disposable income and also a lot of student loan debt and really trying to figure out, you know, how do I take care of myself? How do I set myself up, you know, for financial success in the future and kind of in the process of learning and educating myself about personal finance, I did what happens to a lot of us on the internet, which is falling down Google rabbit holes and started hearing and reading and learning about people who were using, specifically using points earned from credit cards to travel and not just travel a little bit, not just like take a weekend trip, you know, to Denver, which maybe is amazing, but to travel around the world and to travel around the world in business class or first class. And I was like, that sounds pretty good. I mean, up until that point, I had been your total classic, like shoestring bootstrapped traveler where, you know, (laughs) 
I would spend, I mean, hours and hours and hours crammed in little economy seats, you know, to fly, you know, from Boston over to India and back home in time to come back, you know, to my my residency rotations. And I was like, wow, if I could actually one time in my life fly on an airplane for more than 15 hours, not, you know, in an economy seat, that to me seemed like winning the absolute lottery in life. And so I just started learning how are other people doing this? How is it possible, you know, that you can turn credit card points into travel? Is this real? Is this scammy? Is this going to completely wreck, you know, wreck my credit score, which is not something I was interested in doing. And I just started learning it piece by piece and putting it into practice and having amazing travel experiences. And so for a long time, that was actually my outlet. You know, when I was working really, really hard, really long hours, if I needed, you know, a five minute, 10 minute break, I would go and read a little bit about, you know, one specific travel credit card, or I'd read a little bit about a trip someone took using points and start to think, how can I do that for myself? So for a long time, this was just a personal outlet for me and just a really fun experience for me to be able to do for myself. And that's how it went actually for a number of years. And my husband's always been very supportive, but he could not care less about this, you know? So I would come home and I'd be like, there's this card or, you know, no, you have to use this one for groceries. And he was just like, I don't get it. That's fine. I'm glad it makes you happy. But I felt like I was in my own little world in my own little bubble doing this. And, you know, again, about, I don't know, it must've been about two years ago, I was talking with a lot of my physician friends and just telling them like, Hey, you all love to travel did you know, you know, like you can actually travel more when you have credit card points or you can travel in a different class of service. You can stay at this hotel that maybe you never thought you would have access to. And one thing kind of led to another. And, you know, the end of 2021, I started thinking, wouldn't it be fun to have a place on Facebook to talk about this? Because there are so many fantastic physician communities on Facebook, but the community that I could never find was the community where women physicians talk about using credit card points to travel. And so I started a Facebook group thinking, man, this would be amazing if like five or six other people joined and, you know, the five of us could just talk about taking trips with credit card points. This will be so great. And, you know, that was a little less than a year and a half ago. And lo and behold, more than five or six people wanted to talk about this and learn about this. And it has just- A lot more people than that. A little bit more than that. Yeah. And, and it, just kind of grew organically. I think that is the piece of this that I've really taken away is that, you know, when I used to be sitting literally in my office next to my microscope with, you know, 300 skin biopsies next to me, and I needed a 10 minute break, sitting alone, kind of learning about this stuff at a computer was one thing. I didn't go from that to, you know, I should retire from medicine and start a business, you know, helping people travel the world using credit card points. That was not an overnight step. It was this sort of organic evolution of, I want to learn more and follow more about this passion. Now I want to talk to one other person about it. Maybe five people will want to talk about it, you know, starting to talk to more people about it and really kind of seeing, wow, how can I be most of service to people now in this realm? And that's really where everything that my business is now has kind of grown out of that original question of just how can I be more of service to the other people who actually want to be in conversation about this, but maybe they don't want to do what I did, which was teach themselves this whole entire thing from scratch, which I had the luxury of time to do because I didn't have kids at that point. You know, I didn't, my life didn't look quite as hectic as it does now. And so really being of service again to other physicians, other business owners and saying, wow, let me help you have access to this thing that really has improved the quality of my life and my family's life so dramatically. If I can share that, you know, with other doctors who work so hard, you know, and just want to take a trip, 
maybe don't want to spend $20,000 on that trip. If I can make that a little bit easier for them, I think that is what gives me so much gratification now and really explains of how something that used to just be a passion of mine really made sense to grow into something bigger. And I mean, I think your story is so helpful for a lot of people who have, you know, kind of reached this mid-career and medicine is not what they thought it was going to be, or, um, or they have an interest outside of medicine. You know, we're actually allowed to do that. <laughs> I know it's shocking, right? <laughs> it is shocking. You know, they let us out of residency. We saw the light of day and all kind of choices come up for us. Um, but I think it's really great because, you know, there's a lot of physician entrepreneurs out there. And I think it's because people like you have have been shown the way and are showing other people the way that we can actually take our interest. And, you know, we think our mom and our two friends are going to show up. And then all of a sudden, like everybody starts showing up for this group. And then you start to realize, hey, you know, like the transferable skills that I learned as a physician, which is excellent research and making it simple and coming up with these things can actually create a business that all of a sudden, you know, we have a passion for and we're interested in and it challenges us. And, you know, in the end, that's really what a lot of life is about. Um, and so, because uh, a lot of misconceptions I see in the internet are, are like, oh, you know, physicians are just looking for side gigs to get out of medicine. And that's not the case at all. I mean, this is a natural, I like, you said it best, actually, this is an evolution of who we are um, for us settling into our interest and our skills. And, you know, really that's how we exponentially affect the world is the ability for us to tap into what we're the best at and, you know, being the tip of the spear and doing something different and then spreading that out to the world is, is actually how, you know, we change the world itself. All right. Off my five soapbox now. So tell me a little bit. Okay. Now I'm, I have no idea about points. I don't know where to start, you know, and I know that there's lots of surgeons in your group too. So first tell us about the Facebook group that you have and what can people get out of that? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually have two different Facebook groups, the same idea of both of them. They're both called point me to first class. One of them is point me to first class for women physicians, which is very self-explanatory. If you identify <laughs> as a female identifying physician, that is a place where you can come meet with now over 12,000 other female physicians who are all just talking about this hobby and people come in exactly where you are now, like have, having no idea how this whole thing works. Um, and people come in from all different stages and phases of this hobby where we all get to share knowledge. I try to come in there, share what I've learned about earning and using credit card points for amazing travel experiences. But if you happen to be any other human on earth, a non-female physician identifying person, then you can come and join our other point me to first class group, which is point me to first class for professionals, entrepreneurs, business owners, again, all of the humans, you're all welcome there. And it's a very easy way to get into conversation with other people who are doing this hobby. Again, whether you just want to learn the first couple of baby steps, whether you just want to hear and see what are other people doing. So I can even decide if this is something I want to jump into, or if you end up falling down the rabbit hole, you have really easy ways to get really good at this hobby really, really quickly. So tell me a little bit more about like, like what is the first step? Like, like for yes. a new, what would be the first way that you would? Yes. So this is what I always tell people is that physicians, especially, I don't think physicians understand sort of the mountain of opportunity that they are sitting on if there's someone who loves to travel and if there's someone who really wants to be able to travel without having to pay out of pocket cash for a lot of experiences like flights and hotels. And this is the very basic breakdown of how it works is that 
there's a certain type of credit card called a rewards credit card where there's a bunch of different types and flavors that they come in. But when you use that type of credit card to put your just normal expenses on, right? Your groceries, your online shopping, whatever the case may be, when you put those expenses on that type of credit card, the credit card company rewards you by giving you either something that's called points or airline miles, but that essentially those points and miles are their own form of currency. So you can save them up, you can build them up, and then you can cash them in for really amazing things that have a ton of value. And this is where I think physicians, especially if you do happen to be a business owner, whether you are a medical practice owner or you have business interests outside of your medical practice, you own real estate or you have a side gig, whatever the case may be, is that your expenses are enormous assets because every time you put an expense on a credit card, if you can be earning a form of, of currency for that expense in the form of points and miles, then you are actually sitting on potentially thousands or tens of thousands of dollars worth of travel every single year. And one thing I know, having been you know, a new attending, then like a mid-year, mid-career attending, part of a dual physician you know, family, we had pretty high expenses to make our life run. When my husband and I pre-pandemic were both working more than full-time outside of the home, you know, we had a lot of expenses just to make our life run. And especially when he started his own practice, he's a self-employed psychiatrist, I started to see, wait a minute, we can leverage every single one of these expenses and we can earn credit card points for them. And those points can fund our travel experiences. And that can be incredibly impactful, the value that you can get out of those. So that is the very basics of how this works. So if you're someone and you have expenses and you love to travel, those expenses can actually be turned into points and you can use your points to travel. And I can tell you having, you know, scrolled the, the Facebook groups is my gosh, like the amount of like the things that people are doing are like staggering. Yes. Yes. And I think that is one yeah. thing that I think is so amazing to, to really realize is that again, as physicians, I think we are in a very unique opportunity. We tend to make more on average, you know, than the, than the average person in the States. And we also, in my experience, tend to spend more than average, you know, in terms of, again, making our lives or our businesses run. And we can really, really leverage those expenses into amazing travel. And like you said, there are people certainly, it is not uncommon, right? In the Facebook group to hear someone say, I just booked myself and my partner, you know, on a business class flight, we're going to Paris for a week or, I need to fly my mom home, you know, to India because something happened and I, I really need to get my mom back to her family, help me find a flight. And you're able to do that. And again, save so much money or have experiences that just you thought maybe you're going to have to wait till retirement to have, you know, I've had people post in the group about they're able to take, you know, their daughter on a surprise graduation trip that they never expected they would be able to do because they have points, right. Or they're able to visit a place that otherwise they thought they were going to have to save up for, you know, 10 years to be able to afford. And so there's really a huge range and a huge spectrum of what you can do with points, but it is such an enormous opportunity for those of us, you know, who are looking for ways to really, again, take advantage of the money that we're already spending on the things that we need to make our lives run. Right. I think it's amazing. And you mentioned, you know, kind of at the start that there was a couple worries that you had and what were the worries that you had and and how have you resolved those worries? Tell me, ask like, me that a little bit more specifically. Sure. You mentioned that some of the concerns that you had things like this is going to affect my credit score. Oh, and, yes. Yeah, so tell me a little, you know, what were your thoughts on that and how's that panned out? 
Yeah. So I think I had a couple of just sort of, you know, concerns when I first started reading this online, because I mean, we read all sorts of stuff online. And I think one of the things, you know, some of the things that came up for me was certainly, you know, is this going to in any way sort of threaten, you know, my personal financial responsibility, you know, the health of my credit score, that's obviously very important to me. And also, I think one of the other things that comes up and did for me initially was kind of the idea of sort of the input to output ratio. I was like, this sounds amazing, but is this something where it's going to take a lot of effort on my part for seven years before I can get a free flight from, you know, Chicago to Louisville. Like, I'm not sure that's going to be worth, you know, a lot of my time and my energy. So yes, learning about kind of how to optimize this was one thing, but in terms of overcoming sort of that initial concern about my credit score was it really came down to just educating myself more. And at that point, I didn't really know what the factors were that influenced a credit score. I think growing up, my experience was that I never had any money. And so I didn't really have to know a lot about finance because like nothing was available to me. And so part of my, you know, personal financial education was starting to dig into some of these details about, wait a minute, what are the factors that influence a credit score? And, you know, what is going to happen to my credit score if I open up a new credit card, which I had basically never done up until that point in my life. And what I actually learned was that getting into this hobby can actually really help your credit score when you understand these factors. So if you are able to pay off your credit card bills in full every single month, the single most impactful factor of your credit score is on-time payment of your bills. And so being able to show that you have a history and an ability to pay off your credit cards fully every single month is actually very helpful to your credit score. You would think that having more credit cards open would actually make you look like you're not financially responsible. That's what I always thought, you know, like why would you need more than one credit card? But the second most important factor in your credit score is what's called your credit utilization, which is essentially how much of the credit that is available to you do you use? And so if you're opening up more credit cards, but you're not maxing them out, this is actually enormously beneficial to your credit score. It's to have a lot of credit available to you, but that you are not actually using. And then finally, being able to have a mix of different types of credit. So I had ha always had student loans. I had that kind of type of line of credit on lock, but I did not have a long history of having credit cards that I was showing, you know, was able to show and paying off regularly in full. And so actually, when you understand all these different elements of what goes into, you know, your credit score, actually having multiple credit cards and being very responsible with them helps your credit score tremendously. And so you can get into this hobby and you can actually get pretty deep into it. You know, I'm now nine years in and have more than a few credit cards. My credit score has never been stronger. And so I think part of it is the education piece of what am I afraid might happen if I get into this thing? And, you know, how can I equip myself with the knowledge that will really help me evaluate whether or not that's actually going to happen or not? Right. And I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to already start with an answer. The very first thing is you mentioned this is currency. And so my question is about the taxable implications. And I'm going to start with the answer of check with your accountant. Neither one of us are one. So, <laughs> yes. you know, I mean, when it comes to anything like the tax laws and everything like this change all the time, we yeah. are not experts. So I'm starting off with a disclosure ahead of time, but take me through some of any tax implications. This Yes, I will echo that disclosure that anything that you ever want to do, make sure that you do check with your accountant, your tax professional the people who actually have real certifications in these areas, but I will tell you from my experience in terms of tax implications, when you actually 
earn credit card points, again, from using this type of credit card, you are not taxed on that when you use your credit card points. So let's say I go and I book a flight using my credit card points. I'm also not taxed, you know, from the government on that. So I might have to pay some airline taxes and fees as part of booking that ticket, but there's no tax implication of that. The one thing that people do need to be aware of in terms of tax implications is that when you hold these cards, let's say you and I are talking and you say, Hey, that one particular card sounds great to me. Can you refer me for that credit card? And I send you a link where you ref I refer you to a specific credit card and I might get some bonus points from the credit card company as a reward for then sharing my referral link with you. So when you specifically refer other people to credit cards that you hold and you earn a referral bonus from your credit card issuer for that, that is considered beyond a certain limit, taxable 1099 income. So you will receive in the mail a 1099 form from a credit card company if you have gone over sort of that baseline threshold of referrals. But that is a very, very small number, small amount for most people in terms of just the hobby of earning a lot of credit card points and then turning around and cashing those credit card points in for travel. There's really no tax implication for that whatsoever. Perfect. And I will add another disclaimer of saying, again, not accountants, um, but to get an example um, unrelated, I went to donate something last year. She said, I didn't have to itemize it. And this year I do. So, you know, even if right now that is not the case, always check with your accountant because it could always change in the future. All right. Disclaimer over. Uh, now, <laughs> I I think of this points and I just get overwhelmed. You know, like I'm I see the wins that people have and I'm terribly excited about it and I have no idea where to start. And then you tell me it's taken you nine years, which immediately like has stopped my interest in even trying any of this. You know, how do I learn about this without creating a hobby? I know you mentioned the Facebook group and I know you have a podcast now yes. and a program. So tell yes. me who, which of these is right for who? Yes. So let me just take a step back and just put a little asterisk on. It's not that it's taken me nine years to learn how to do this is that I've been doing it for nine years because it's been so amazing and so useful for me. And one of the things that I, but I think that is such a common thing for people to say is this sounds like a lot, you know, I work full time as a physician. I have a family, I have a life. I'm not actually looking, you know, to bring something into my life. That's going to require, you know, hours upon hours of learning how to do. And so, you know, you are obviously a coach, you are brilliant. And so I would always first say, just where's that overwhelm coming from? You know, what, what is it that you think or assume about, you know, sort of this hobby that seems really overwhelming. And for a lot of people, it's just this sort of general vague, oh, I think it's going to require more than what I have to get any sort of win from this. And so that's why I always tell people, you can start really simply. You do not have to go like zero to a hundred in one step. None of us walked into medical school the first day and expected that the next day we would have all the skills and knowledge of a 10-year practicing attending. No one thought that that was what was being asked of us, right? We thought, oh, my job right now is to learn what's in front of me right now. And it's the same thing with this hobby is that you do not have to be quote unquote extreme to be able to get any sort of benefit out of it. So you can have a very simple approach and still derive a lot of benefit. And so what I always tell people is if you love to travel, then 
take one step to learn about whether or not this could even be a good fit for you without expecting yourself to have to become an expert overnight. And so there's so many different ways that you can do that. Obviously you can join one of our Facebook groups where again, you can ask any question. I always tell people there's no such thing as a stupid question. No one was born needing, or for some reason having to have known anything about credit card points and travel. So ask all of the basic questions, but if you're someone who likes to sort of listen to stories and hear sort of bite-sized information about what this hobby looks like, then absolutely tune into our Point Me to First Class podcast. So I think this conversation you and I are having is probably going to be um, out a little bit after the podcast launches. So if it's any time that you're listening to this episode after March 20th, then come on over, check out the Point Me to First Class podcast. So you can, again, hear stories, get an idea of what this hobby is even about and whether or not it's something that might benefit you. And for the people who are at the point where they're like, I'm in, I want to learn how to do this. And I don't want to teach myself because I've got a lot of other things on my plate in life. Then I have a course that I offer people where I walk you through all of the steps so that it doesn't take you nine years to be able to earn enough points to take your first amazing trip. So you can visit me over at my website, which is pointmetofirstclass.com. And you can learn all about my course, the Points Made Easy course, where I help make learning about earning and using credit card points for travel easy for really busy professionals and business owners. What can they expect from the program? Is this live calls, recorded stuff? You know, what can they expect from the program? Yeah, that's a great question. It's both. So I have the core content video library, which is, again, the lessons that map out sort of the roadmap start to finish of just the basics you need to know about how all of this works. How do you get started? What are the steps you take? All of those are recorded videos. So you can work through this at your own pace. Some people like to come in and just binge watch them because they want to learn as much as they can, as fast as they can. And other people come in maybe already actually knowing how to earn a lot of credit card points, but they specifically want to learn the piece of, okay, how do I get a ton of value and book some great trips using those points? So they can dive into the module of video lessons that makes the most sense for them. So that video library, once you sign up for the course, you have lifetime access to that. You can work through it as fast or as slow as you want. It's never going to go away. But because I know how this hobby works, sometimes when you're trying to implement what you're learning, you run into roadblocks or you have a question or you want someone to kind of help guide you step-by-step step through this particular part of what you're learning. And so we actually do also have a live component of the course. And that looks sometimes like just an open Q&A call where you can bring any question you have, get an answer for it immediately from me or for one of the other experts in our group. We also have workshops, which is for me, one of the most fun things because I use everyone in the group as a case study. So someone can say, Hey, these are the points I have. I want to book a trip for me and my partner to this place. Show me how to figure out how to use these points. And we use those as case studies. And I walk you through, how do you actually start putting your points to use so that you can book these trips? Because let's be honest, no one wants to collect a lot of credit card points just to be able to say they have a lot of points. We want to be able to use them and take these amazing trips. And so I love using the workshops as really a step-by-step -step live guided way to help people get that help. And so we're always adding new things that I'm thinking can be really helpful for people based on the different stages, you know, in learning this hobby. And so, like I said, if you have any interest in learning how to do this and you think you'd really like to have a little bit of handholding along the way so that you don't have to do the work of figuring any of it out on your own, then the course is a really good fit for those type of people. <laughs> I'm clearly one of the needs handholding guys. <laughs> 
why not? I mean, why take nine years to learn something by yourself if you can take three months and start benefiting from it right away? This is actually the course that I wish I had when I was first learning how to do this. I would have signed up for it in a heartbeat, would have taken a lot of guesswork and a lot of trial and error um, and a lot of mistakes out of the way. And I really want to share all my mistakes with people so that they don't have to spend the time (laughs) learning from them and repeating them. I mean, I'm so glad you brought that up because that is the exact reason why physician entrepreneurs are the most successful. And when you find something that, you know, I wish I had this because that's, that's how the boss series started. I mean, I needed to know these and if I figured I need to know these, everybody else does too. Absolutely. That is a formula for a successful business. And a lot of times it can be difficult because I mean, by definition, you don't see anyone doing it. So you have to kind of overcome a lot of these obstacles. But if you have a passion for it and an interest for it, and you take your transferable skills that we learned as physicians, you know, that we've paid with time and effort and for, then you can create a successful business, which you've done. And so, you know, I'm I'm also here just to celebrate your victory because I'm just so, I'm so proud of all that you're doing. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And I just want to add one thing that something that you said reminded me of, which is, I don't know if anyone else who listens to this can relate, but I think one of the things when I look back about how long I've loved, you know, to do this hobby, but how long really it took me to actually then think about this could be a business and turn it into a business. I think one of the biggest mistakes in thinking I made was if something was really easy or really fun for me, it must be really easy and fun for everybody else. It was almost like this mentality of if it's not really hard, then it's not worth turning into something. And I I think that came, you know, from medical training that was gratifying, but was really hard on most days. And so I think all of us have those things, like you said, our transferable skills, but we all have that area of passion that for us, because of the way our brain works or because of just our personal skills or aptitudes or interests, it's easy for us. And the thing I've learned that sounds so simple and so basic, but I see this in all the entrepreneurs that I now know is the thing that for them is the source of their passion and is easy for them. That is a service that the world needs. And I had always discounted it. I said, oh, because this is so easy for me, must be easy for everyone. And Everyone else is probably spending their time, you know, looking on the internet for reading the same things that I am. And I've just realized, oh, that's not true. So please don't discount the thing that you love to do or that you happen to be really, really good at. I'm willing to bet that that is a service that other people would absolutely learn to love from you because it's not easy or fun necessarily for them. I think it's a great point too. And I mean, to become a entrepreneur has its ups and downs, you know, it's, it's definitely like surgery, the highs are high and the lows are low. Um, And it takes a lot longer than you think, but if it's something that you really enjoy doing, you know, uh, people ask me what my uh, financial goals are, my retirement goals. And I said, I'm going to retire when all this starts, this stuff starts feeling like work. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't, it's fun. And that's what life is supposed to be fun. And so I love that, that you said, you know, we really should, even though we think it's easy, it, it just also points to the fact that we're the right person for it. And how exciting yeah. is that? <laughs> yeah, I agree. And I think that's the piece that for a long time, I got in my own way, not realizing it, but I got in my own way because I really discounted that part of it. And so if anyone listening to this podcast can save themselves a month or a year by just not discounting that piece of what you're meant to do, I think that's such a great takeaway to hear. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I didn't even think to to talk about that too, because, you know, we do think it's effortless and therefore everyone must know, but they really don't. (laughs) So 
Dr. Gimbel, thank you so much for coming on. And so I'm going to make sure, although it's obviously very easy, this is fantastic. Point me to first class, Facebook group, podcast, website for the program. Couldn't be easier than that. And thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your wisdom. Thank you for having me. This has been such a fun, fun conversation. I really appreciate the time we spent together. I agree. Me too. For more information on the Boss Business of Surgery series, go to bosssurgery.com.